Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How are you? How's, how's life other than that? Are you, are you coping or? I'm okay. Yeah, I'm good. So I'm, I'm okay. Like, I mean, I'm hitting those flat lines the odd time as well. And just going out to the back garden, screaming at birds and doing some random stuff. It's the Keith Walsh Podcast. It's essential like your breakfast. It will get you up and going. There's the things you didn't know. Yeah, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast. It's the Keith Walsh Podcast. Give you energy like buck fast. And if your head's in a pickle or you're looking for a giggle, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast. Yeah. Good evening. Good evening, good evening, good evening, and welcome along <clears throat> to the Keith Walsh Podcast. Today is, it's the 1st of March. There's a thing people say, isn't there? Is it the 1st of every month or just the 1st of March? White rabbit, white rabbit. Don't know what it means. Uh, people say it. It's a thing. So, white rabbit, white rabbit, white rabbit. To you. I should look it up really, shouldn't I? I feel like it's something I should know. Um, It's something uh, I've been... Something I've been avoiding finding out for some reason. It's like uh, I I have uh, like an irrational hatred of of stupid things. I don't have an irrational hatred of white rabbit, white rabbit, but maybe it's because I don't get it. Um, but then I used to. I don't anymore really as much. But I used to. I used, for some reason I used to hate people called Wednesday Hump Day. We're over the hump. I don't know why. Like it seems like a fairly rational. A reasonable thing to say and kind of interesting and I, for some reason it used to make me angry when people said hump <laughs> day but I don't know maybe that's where I was at back then not so much now I'm a different person how are you all doing I hope you're well we are well today is a good day because the six years went back to school some of the younger kids went back to school so I think I think the juniors went back like first class second class that kind of age uh my son is in sixth class he'll be last to go back i think but my daughter's in sixth year and she went back today full on today i'd say she's absolutely out on her feet so today was the first day back and in study as well so gone since eight o'clock this morning or whatever and back at seven o'clock like bang straight into it straight into it by absolutely wrecked I'd say at the end of it all, but uh, I think ultimately just happy to be back at it. Happy to be, happy to be back in the school and all that kind of stuff. My wife is just on the phone out in the hall there. You all right there, Sam? Who's on the phone? It's Nicola. Hi, Nicola. 
she's talking to her business partner. Have you ever heard of uh, Nearly Sisters? They're like this online gifting company. It's all Irish, all artisan, all handmade, all Irish crafted, eco-friendly. Nearly Sisters. You should check them out. I think it's nearly sisters.ie, isn't it? I hope it is nearly sisters.ie. Think there'll be something. You think there'll be something here now I'd lay my hand to. Just Google Nearly Sisters, it'll come up. Great name. I tell you, whoever come up with that name for for a business deserves to be very well treated by their wife. That's all I'm saying. Um anyway, uh do I have any news for you? Yeah, the schools are back. Um do I have any personal news that I can share with you? I don't think so. I I I I feel like I come to these ch- these intros with less and less every week. I have less and less news, but that's okay. You know, no news is good news, isn't it? Isn't that what they say? Uh, if you want to email the podcast, of course you can. It's keithwalshpod at gmail dot com. If you're an OG, if you're listening to the podcast now and it's Still early 2021, so I think the cutoff for OGs, you can email me if you agree or disagree, I think the cutoff for OGs should be the 3rd, like March, the end of March. What do you think, Margaret? Margaret? She's not even listening. Margaret, have you got headphones on? Yeah, are you not supposed to be listening to No. I just can't. Margaret's supposed to be the, well, she's a producer, person in charge, manager, podcast director, not even listening. What? No one. I was talking about different different Margaret. Anyway, let's crack on. My guest uh, for this episode, actually, I was going to, no, I'll do it. I'm putting up two podcasts. I have a chat with Mike to put up. I've got this one with Brazzy to put up. But uh, with the other podcast, I'll put up my um, new jingle as the main jingle, just to see if people like it. Further crack. Although, I shouldn't because Ryan Mack, who was a guest on this podcast, if you haven't listened to the episode with Ryan Mack, you should go back to it. It's very interesting. He was in a boy band called Hometown. All kind of fell apart. He talks about how it, how Louis Walsh put it together, how it all fell apart, the ins and outs of being in a boy band. Very interesting conversation. He ended up uh, playing at a festival in Barcelona to thousands of people. And literally, that was their last gig. And a few weeks later, he was. I I met him in my estate. He was helping his brother lift a bed off the back of a truck. He 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 was he got a job uh, delivering furniture. Uh, it's a really interesting conversation. Really brilliant. And I'm delighted to say, like he's so hardworking and he's worked so hard. Um, I'm delighted to say this week one of his singles, his new single, was playlisted by BBC Radio One, which is Chef's Kiss. Amazing. I should have looked into it. Maybe I will for the intro for Michael's uh, podcast, for my chat with Mike when I put up that up in a while, or maybe for the outro. But BBC Radio One do not playlist that many Irish acts, you know, as you could imagine. It just doesn't happen all the time. Like you get the odd, like you get Hosier, you get whatever. I'll, I'll look into it. The ones I remember growing up was like you know the big ones. You too. I think the Hot House Flowers might have got playlists at one point. And there's the famous story of something happens. They were on the BBC playlist, but then the Gulf War happened. The song was called Parachute, so they took it off the playlist. And that is where something happens, reckoned. That was their big, that was their moment. Um, But 
who else now? Did I mention Halsey? He would have been he would have been one of the latest ones. Anyway, I look into that. That's enough for that, but I'm just delighted for Ryan, who wrote my jingle. Exactly. The guy who wrote my jingle is being playlisted on BBC Radio One. Madness. Uh, anyway, this is uh, me. Uh, this is episode seventy-three. Me chatting to Brezzy. He is his name is Niall Bresnan. He is from Westmeath. He was in a band called The Blizzards. Still in a band called The Blizzards because they kind of they took a, a little break and then they got back together again. He did some solo stuff. He was a, a judge. Do they call them judges or do they call them mentors on The Voice of Ireland? And uh, he became a mental health advocate. Uh, set up his own mental health organisation to speak to young people, which he explains about in um, in our chat. He got into fit big big got into fitness big style, doing Ironmans and uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think he was down. We used to work in a radio station called iRadio. I'm trying to think. There was some. I was. I used to do a show with a guy called Bern O'Shea, and uh, I know most of you will know that, but uh, that was a weird way of saying it. But there was something about Berner doing a doing a triathlon and Brezzy doing a triathlon. Brezzy used to play for Leinster, and for some reason Bernard beat Brezzy, uh, which he never let him live down. But I think there was something wrong with what happened and Brezzy went something wrong with the course and Brezzy did an extra lap or something Um, better known as Brezzy is an Irish musician former Westmead Gaelic footballer and Leinster rugby player I didn't know he played Gaelic football for Leinster for uh, Westmead Brezzy found success as the lead guitarist uh, singer guitarist songwriter with pop band The Blizzards and as a co-writer and producer with XIX Entertainment and also as a solo artist uh, he was the winning coach on the first and third seasons of Voice of Ireland. So he knows his stuff. He knows his stuff. Um, 2013, he opened up uh, on his blog about his struggles with generalized anxiety disorder. Um, he was an ambassador for Cycle Against Suicide and uh, all his other mental health work. Uh, you can find there, just Google, plenty of information on there. Um, what do we talk about? We talked about education system, leaving cert, what's going to happen with mental health when the the country starts opening up again, what, where are we now? Uh, talked a bit about politicians, but, you know, didn't, he wasn't pointing the finger necessarily. Um, we talked about, uh, he talked a little bit about Buddha, because he's a Buddhist. And he's setting up a cult, I think. I think that was pretty much it. And I had a bit of a rant about the Leaving Cert and the Holy Family School. And I want to just say, if anybody from the Holy Family School is listening to this, um, I was annoyed with something that happened a few months ago, a month ago. But I think the way you're handling things now is brilliant. Excellent. Just, you're doing a great job. I'm not, like, I sound sarcastic. Why is it I always sound sarcastic? Like, genuinely, Brilliant. If any, anybody from the school are listening at the moment and I will because I did write an angry email at the time I will ri- write a not angry and thank you email because I think you're just doing super stuff now at the moment and obviously that's me as a father saying oh my daughter's happy with the way things are going but look that's 
that's the world. That's how the world turns. She's happy. She seems content. And the anxiety seems to have gone. And so, good. Good times. Anyway, uh, without further ado, let me introduce to you episode 73 of the Keith Walsh podcast. It's me chatting to Brezzy, a.k.a. Niall Breslin. Enjoy. Oh, sorry, one more thing I nearly forgot. Uh, the Fiona we were speaking about, I was talking about going uh, to help launch a book. It's Fiona Brennan, and her book is called The Self-Love Habit. The Self-Love Habit by Fiona Brennan. It's brilliant. Uh, it will teach you how to respect and love yourself. Um, go and buy it online now. Do yourself a favour. Uh, it's really good, and Fiona's great, and uh, really loved helping her launch the book. Anyway, just FYI. I'm grand and I've been with my parents for, I'm actually in Dublin for the first time because I have to we're put an air conditioning into the studio. So I had to, my business partners, uh, dad is passing away. So I had to come up and do it. So it's my first time really up here. How's that? Like, like, is there a certain amount of anxiety? Like I have to go to Dublin tomorrow. Um, Actually, to launch a book, Fiona's book has been launched Oh, yeah, no tomorrow. way. Yeah, Is yeah. It physically launched? Because she invited me to the... Oh, you're in the room with them. Oh, yeah. I, actually, I actually have to go and talk, yeah. So um, so that's uh, interesting. But, like, I'm actually... Uh, there's a bit of anxiety with going, getting in the car and driving up to Dublin and seeing other people and then having to... I mean, I know I talk on the podcast, but, like, talk to people and express myself, know. you know? I know. I, I, to be fair, like, like, there is a bit of that, but Dublin is quiet. I have to be honest. Like, it doesn't... I expected it to be like fucking New York Times Square, bloody Christmas Eve, but it's really quiet. Like I, I'm staying in a hotel in just in the Keys. There's not, I can't see a sinner outside, like nothing. It's nice weather. So I don't know. I'm, I think it's, I, yeah, it's just all been a, yeah, I think there will be a huge level of adapting back out of it. That's going to be difficult for people as much as it was to get into it. But we're going to see all sorts of waves of issues coming here. And as I said to the politicians, I said, don't think it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Don't be surprised. It's going to be a tsunami. We're seeing it already. Like my partner's psychologist and she's she's just going, I've never, ever, ever, ever in the history of anything seen anything like this. And she's worked in, you know, she's worked in, she was one of the founding members of Jigsaw. She has seen it all. So... And this is people presenting themselves at her place of work, is it? And looking. No, well, even just contacting her, um, and the waiting lists in the public and private sector is no. You won't get in with a psychologist now. It's it's, and the thing about psychology, people go, "Oh, that must be great for psychologists." It isn't because they can only take on a certain level of work. Otherwise, they will be completely thrown under a bus as well. So they can't go. Oh, brilliant! I could do. I could take seven clients a day, and I can. I'll do really well out of this. It doesn't work like that with psychology. You can't because number one, you'll rinse yourself. And number two, you're no use to the people that you're trying to help either. So you have a duty of care to take on just a certain amount. And that's why the waiting lists are so long. It's just not scalable. But um, yeah, anyway, many problems to talk about. But but, but there, we, we, should we just keep going? So, But there must yeah, be, um, there must be uh, I feel like it's kind of like the leave insert uh with with the with the kids that like the the government had you know, did a fair warning that this could happen again you know that this much that because everybody kind of felt like the second wave was or the third wave was going to be worse or whatever you know mm. so they could they, they should have known that 
the, the chances are that the leaving cert wasn't going to happen. And but they seem to be caught flat footed. Like, is the same thing going to happen with with this uh, with the mental health issue? You know, it just um, the flat footed that they're going to be caught on here, Keith, is is one that's not. It's been coming for generations. When, when you continuously invest 6% of the health budget and less in mental health, you know you are going to reap what you sow. And this is going to be, unfortunately, a really, really difficult illustration of that. And here's the thing, and I have to be honest here, you know, it's very easy for, for us to hate on politicians and stuff. I don't think these are bad people. I never have. I don't think politicians are bad people. I know many of them and they're they get into it with all the right intentions to do positive things and make the right decisions. And the reality is in many cases, they haven't made the right decisions and it's okay that they haven't made the right decisions. And it's even more okay to tell us that and don't insult our intelligence. We saw with the, I, I spoke to King Costello there on Lust for Life last night about, about the impact of the Leaving Cert. And the thing about it is, even politically, you're dealing with 60,000 people who can now vote who were treated abysmally, abysmally. They were communicated badly with, they weren't talked to. They're the main stakeholders, not the unions, not the teachers, they are. It's their future and they weren't addressed and they were disempowered and they will remember that. And I said that to Keen last night. I said, you guys need to understand that you have so much power as voters, you know, and that's the reality. Use that now and recognize that power of youth and come together and realize that every single decision made by politicians affect you. Every single decision. And there has been historically this kind of mindset that, you know, young people don't really get into politics or, or think about politics too much. And I think that has shifted. And that's a good thing. But with mental health, I've been told by two pretty prominent, and I mean, in a nice kind of way, you know, and they were kind of giving me advice as much as telling me the reality that mental health doesn't get votes. And that became very clear to me that this area is not a politically expedient area. And most social issues aren't politically expedient because number one, both any social issue in any country takes a long-term strategy. It takes, it takes a much longer view of how to change things. Secondly, uh, it's often seen as an area that can't be fixed. And that's the problem. And that's what terrifies me because we know we know we can do things. There's basic things that we can now address. If we look at that 6% of the health budget, we also got to look at how it's spent, Keith. How did they spend that? What type of model do we have? We have a reactive mental health model. So we wait for people to get to point of distress to intervene. And we know at that point of distress in terms of research that it's a far more difficult fight back both humanly and economically. So this whole thing doesn't make sense. And if we started really crafting preventative models in mental health through education, through community supports, through access to talk therapies, we wouldn't be seeing this wave of wave and wave after mental health issues. And this particular pandemic, unfortunately, has been the thing that's exposed it. And I am hopefully going to be speaking to some politicians in the podcast over the next few months. And I'm just going, guys, this is the real opportunity now. Like, seriously, please don't box fix this stuff. And um, because I, I can't deal, I can't deal with helpless parents anymore. It breaks my heart. And I'm getting called constantly about people who just cannot get access to help. And from somebody who's been in therapy for many years, I know how good it is and I know what it can do and how it can, it can reignite your, your head, your mind, your life. And 
we need to find a way that everybody can get access to that. Yeah, and I think that definitely, like, obviously people like you uh, talking about it. I started therapy a couple of years ago. Fucking love it. Uh, you know, I, I can't tell enough people about it. But obviously not everybody has access to it. The problem, I think, is, and I think that, like, the work you're doing is amazing because you're just doing it as a person. You're highlighting it. Uh, but it, you're not you're not you're not poli- you're not political you know you're just doing it you've got your own reasons for doing it okay you're not looking for votes for people so that's so that's sound in that like you'll still be around even you know you're not going to get mm. voted out and then be gone and have no power you have power you've created your own I could be cancelled Keith I could be cancelled that's well, that's on everyone's card you know just don't get cancelled I just but, call Twitter it's 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 my Twitter I have a new name for Twitter it's called the what to call it the career cemetery that's yeah. what I call it. Uh, you yeah. could you've, you've no reason to get cancelled, but the no, um, hopefully not. Hopefully not. But the uh, the thing about it is the problem. I think is if a if a politician comes in, he's in for two years, three years, four years, or that's fine. We can't really do anything with a dysfunctional um, department, like like if the department is just where all these ideas go to die. And and you can be proactive as a politician, and you can promise all these things, but then you turn around, and you go, lads, can we do this? And it's like. I, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really tuned into what you're talking about, and we'll do. We, as you said, box ticking. There'll be some box ticking goes on, but there's no. Everybody, like, look at the amount of, you'd imagine, brilliant politicians that have fallen at the, at the steps of the Department of Health, like just. And, and not bad people. And not bad they're people. Not, you know, they're not bad people. They're, they're. It's just a bad system. And I'll tell you something, Keith. Uh, many years ago, um, five years ago, four years ago, um. Minister McEntee, Helen McEntee, who, who really did get into the remit of mental health minister and she had a real personal reason to, to drive change and she put together a youth mental health task force, one of her first things she did. And I was asked to chair the reference group. So I talk with the kids and see what the issues were. Um, I went into the first meeting of that and I went, oh my God, this that's all this is. One of the first things that was said to me in that room, Keith, was there's no budget here. I.e., whatever you find, we ain't going to be able to do anything about it. And that day there was a, 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 a like a motor insurance task force across the room, which actually had a budget. And, and like, you know, I look at, I, it's the statements they make. It's, it's when you look at our current tonnage, you know, rating a ring, ring fence budget for mental health, these statements, like 16 million is a lot of money in terms of health. It's fuck all, but it's a statement of intent when you do something like that, it shows disregard to an area that is the most important area I feel right now within our within our uh, structures of government and politics. But here's the thing, Keith. People keep saying they can't do anything here. We, we've said, oh, it's impossible to quarantine and, you know, we're an island with a land border. It's not impossible to do anything. It's just politically dangerous to do it. And one thing I've learned about this entire pandemic. It's also been a real indicator of who, who are the most powerful lobby groups. And you're seeing that, and you're seeing the power of, power of lobby. And you look at, say, my industry, like the, the music and events industry, we didn't really, you don't really have a lobby group and we don't have a union. And we found a way to come together in some way, but we were utterly disposable. And we're lucky that the, the arts minister is actually somebody who cares about the arts greatly and has done her very best to stand up and support us. But it's when you see something like the greyhound industry being funded more than we are, the arts council, you tell me, was it great? Was it greyhounds that got you through the pandemic, Keith? Because it wasn't fucking greyhounds that got me through. It was art. It was music. It was it was things people created from their beautiful brains, and 
made me feel like this world is maybe not as bad as I thought it was, or maybe there's an outlet. And I, I do believe this is the huge standing point in, in, in our, the paradigm shift that I always speak of, where we put people first. And I mean that, I, 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 I am into po- politi- politics basher. I just am into, we won't, we won't fix this and we won't find solutions by throwing stones in mental health. A Lust for Life said that from day one. If we're going to change anything here, we need to bring solutions to the table and show the viable roads to how they're done. And the first thing I said was within activism, you have to, there's two, my two rules for activism is your audience is not the people that agree with you. It's the people that don't agree with you. So don't cancel them, change their opinions. Secondly, in activism, one of the main jobs of activism is to look at what does work in your society not just what doesn't. And what works really well in our society, even though there is issues with it, is that we have an amazing education system. We have incredible teachers. We have genuinely a system that is respected internationally. And I think to myself, is that the way in to change things? So that's why Lust for Life started the schools program for primary schools. We're now in, you know, we'll be in every school in Ireland, primary school in Ireland by 2024. That's our aim with the research-based program that we've done that hopefully will will get young kids at that age and teach them this stuff and help them. So when they become teenagers, they'll be able to navigate the world better. And when they become adults, they can finally destroy the stigma that destroyed my generation and your generation, Keith. We're we're the same generation, but you know what I mean? And and it's education is so powerful and use wisely is what, what can actually not just save a society, but sustain a society. And I believe that's where I don't believe hand on my heart within mental health that our current system can be changed. And I don't think we should continue to invest, invest in a system that isn't working. I like it seems like it should be. And I and you know more than me, obviously, it seems it should be easy. Like these things should be easy to do. But sometimes in this country and around the world, we, we, we think that the hardest thing is the best thing to do. For example, when I'm going to use this example as, as an example of how things could be done differently and why they should be done differently. So, so my daughter's school, and I, I'm going to mention this because I want to praise them. Okay. Mm. But initially my daughter's school, they called a meeting, a Q and a with the students and they said, okay, this is the Q and a. So, so, so my daughter's happy enough. She's in sixth year. She's in her, she's in her room. She's doing her schoolwork. She's happy. She, whatever doesn't look like the leaving search is going to happen but she's happy to keep up with the work and do the tests and whatever and assignments and everything's everything's great in our house everyone's you know everyone's happy and we're in the middle of a pandemic but you know there's peace has broken out you know suddenly the school says there's a Q&A tomorrow everyone online blah 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 this fucking like just a can of petrol is thrown on every like is this like thrown a flamethrower and a can of petrol there could be mocks in a week there, there might be mocks in a week oh, I, I saw your tweet man i nearly collapsed the, as you soon put as, a tweet up about it yeah as soon as you get back to school there might be the mocks will start oh. a week later my daughter was just like i was kind of standing outside the room because i'm invested i want like as a dad i feel like i they don't have a voice necessarily but as an adult i can shout about it and i could probably say things on twitter or whatever my god she was just like she just it was like panic attack look i don't have a problem and you'll know that there's nothing wrong with anxiety there's nothing wrong with stress mm. there's nothing wrong with but where it's not needed and was not handled well and that's that's the problem she, suddenly it was just like 
I, I ended up anyway with the principal on the phone. She rang me because of my tweet and because I made this public and she was annoyed with me. So she got on the phone and we had this conversation where I kind of had to remind her that I wasn't a pupil. And I said, look, this is this is very this is very bad what you've done here. This is not good. You've created this, you know, this furnace of anxiety and there's no need. There was absolutely no need for her to do that. I know she panicked. I know she, she th- 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 there's think bubble you know what a think bubble is when you're in the school and mm. you know you're the board of management are going yeah that's probably a good idea let's do the mocks anyway let's forge ahead we, we're doing we got to do the mocks the teachers are going well, where are we going to get the results from we need mocks we need mocks everyone's panicking they don't think outside the think bubble they don't ask the students what they think and they don't involve the parents so they just you know fire ahead and go whatever anyway there was a big thing the, the, the principal then had to go look there's not going to be any decision made on the mocks until we get back to school everybody calm down relax they sort of diffuse the situation. Mm. So this morning there was a there was a meeting called with all the pupils. Totally different situation. The school just handled it completely different. They they were just like, look, there's no leave insert. There's not going to be a mocks. We are whatever you got. We've listened to you guys. We've heard you. You know what there is going to be though. If you guys want to prepare for you know, a leaving cert, because there is some of them are going to want to sit the leaving cert. There's not going to be an official mocks, but there's going to be like practice papers. So we're going to have them outside school. You can go into the gym and you can do your practice paper. We're not going to include those. Those grades aren't going to be used as part of your points. There's no, you just go in and you do it for yourself. Everybody was like, cool. Like every, suddenly everybody in the school is like, yeah, I actually might do those practice papers. I might actually do the leaving cert. That seems like, if, it just, it was a totally different way of mm. the approach, a totally different. And my daughter came out of her, come out of a room skipping going do you know what i might actually sit those practice mocks i actually might do the leaving cert whereas before she was just like yeah she was bull like her she was so she's so headstrong anyway and she was like totally against everything the school was saying they totally like and i have to praise them because but what i'm saying is like sometimes it's just the approach sometimes it's just having a conversation sometimes mm. admitting that you're wrong sometimes admitting vulnerability you'll know yourself like that's all that's all anybody's ever asking you know well here's the thing sorry right? for the rant I, you know no and i'm I, I love a good rant you know that and i you're you know it's a traumatizing experience to go through that because this isn't exams in in all our heads no matter how much condescending tweets adults want to put her out around the leaving certain go don't worry about it it doesn't affect your you know blah 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 when you're in it you don't want to hear that shit and it is traumatizing to be told that you're going to have to do your, I remember outside my Irish oral exam, literally fainting and vomiting, you know, and going in and then speaking French for five minutes. But <laughs> the thing that the point being is I, my, my big fear right here is I do not expect our governments. I do not expect our politicians to get all these decisions, right? How could they, this is insanity. What's happening in this world. It's really difficult. What the very least I expect from them, is really effective communication. Anybody can do that. Clarity, compassion, and and even saying, guys, this might change, but for this moment, this is how we're going to compete. I found out our T-shock. We were going back into a nine-week lockdown on CNN. You know, somebody needs to take control of the communication here and say, guys, listen. What happens is, if you leave gaps in communication, right? What happens is you leave huge, huge, huge space for uncertainty. What happens with uncertainty? Massive levels of anxiety. How do people reduce that anxiety? They make up information. They, they create misinformation. And now the irony is we have governments doing ad campaigns on Twitter to tell us about misinformation. I said, you're creating it by not communicating effectively. 
if you could just communicate effectively, you would reduce, you'll still have, you know, you know, Tommy in a WhatsApp group telling you all of a sudden become an expert in immunology, but you will reduce that misinformation and that anxiety because anxiety feeds off that uncertainty. And the other thing I would talk about is I think Netflix have had a really difficult job. And I, I know, especially I, my heart broke for Tony Hoonan and what he's had to deal with in with losing his wife and whatever your opinion of, of Nefer and Tony Eulin, like he lost his wife in a pandemic, you know, and, and we must we must highlight how, how truly tragic and difficult that must be and a huge condolences to him and his family. But I feel that they have felt that ma- their main job is to continuously distinguish any form of hope so we don't get complacent. And I think they're misreading the, the room now. I think they truly, as public health professionals and officials, I think they're missing how truly overwhelmed our, our, our citizens and state are now. I don't believe they fully understand. Even I'm sure they're wrecked and overwhelmed themselves. I, no doubt. I'm sure, I'm sure they're bollocks. But I, I don't think they fully gauge it. And I saw yesterday they put out some, you know, stuff. And it was, it was constantly just jumping. You know, we don't know this vaccine mightn't work, you know. And I'm like, guys, if that's your opinion, please, please. I know you're saying I'm only giving you the information. Right now, I am really concerned. I'm sincerely concerned for people and their mental health and their emotional well-being from children to kids, to adults, to old people, to me. And if there's glimmers of hope, please don't just dismiss them. Give us those glimmers. But, you know, most of us aren't being complacent. We've taken this incredibly seriously. And if I'm being honest with you, if people still aren't taking this seriously, they never are. They're never going to fuck. So you can do all the ads you want and you can distinguish all the hope you want. People who aren't fucking adhering to guidelines at this point are never going to do it. If they can't realize how truly serious this was and is, then there's something not right there. And, and maybe we should look at the people who have stuck to the guidelines and say, guys, we know you've, you've stepped up here and we can see a light here. If Neff had said that, I, 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 have, I have found the language, the tone and communication around this entire pandemic pretty bad, pretty poor. And it shows you the power of language and the tone of language. And I'm not sure there's many psychologists advising them there and telling them, listen, guys, if you're going to keep keep doing that to people, they haven't got infinite sources to stop. You're going to break them. And I'm seeing it every day now, Keith. I'm seeing it. It is breaking my heart. Um, I have friends who are just crumbling. And, and, and they're looking to me and I'm like, I can't help them. And... I have, you know, my peers, colleagues all lost their jobs, not just their financial well-being, but their sense of purpose. And I know loads of people have lost their jobs, but like my industry's gone. It's 12 months. And these people are family. They feed off the energy of festivals and their job. They're highly skilled individuals. They build cities in fields. Like these are unbelievable people. And I'm concerned for them. I really am. And I don't think the messaging and communication is easing that at all. And that is my fear. I, 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 I think the room has been well and truly misread here. And I, I don't know what to do about it. I mean, I, I, I can't be constantly just sending out messages of hope because I don't feel hopeful either sometimes. But one thing I do know out of all of this and one thing I have recognized is we're fucking a hell of a lot tougher than we ever gave ourselves credit for. Because if I turned around to you, Keith, last 15 months ago and to your family and your friends and said, listen, lads, in about three months time, 
you're going to have to be locked in your gaffes. You're going to have to panic by bog roll. You're going to have to not see your loved ones. You're not going to be able to touch anyone, hug them. You're not going to be able to do pretty much anything or leave 5K from your home. Everyone in Ireland would have went, there's no way I could do that. Yet we're still here and we're still standing. And maybe we are tougher than we gave ourselves credit for. And this isn't a lost year, Keith. This is not a lost year because we've built serious lived experience. And there's going to be other shit shows that come your way. And when those shit shows come your way, you're going to kind of feel better able for them because you've been through the, the, the shit show of our lifetime. And, you you know, has it probably knocked the shite out of you? Yeah, it has because you're a human being. It's knocked the bollocks out of me, but I'm still able to get up in the morning. And that is all you should, that's survival mode. And I think that's what I went into. And I don't think we should just, I, I turned 40 in the lockdown and I told my mum, I'm 39. I'm having a fucking 40th. I'm, when I'm 41, I'm only 40. You can go shite with yourself thinking I'm not having a 40th. I had my 40th birthday the same day as Kim Kardashian. She went to a private island with her mates and I had macaroni and cheese with my mum. I went. It must be an island uh, in a lake in Westmead he could have gone to swam out. Lilliput. Lilliput is, is in Westmead. Why yeah. do you swim out to Lilliput? It, it, I, I thought about it, but I was full of macaroni and cheese, so I thought it'd be a dangerous swim to go for. <laughs> a couple of cans in your in your jock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, 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 to keep you point. Yeah, to keep you point. Peck and Dutch goal is great for the old uh, but you know, I do I do believe this. I believe I believe that we're stronger than we we don't know what our limits are, and most people never find them because they're terrified to try. And I think this has shown us something. And it's also, there's a huge collective humanity in what we dealt with. I teach, obviously, mindfulness, and I've studied Buddhism all my life, or sorry, all my life for the last five years. And one of the parts of Buddhism is we are, we are all intrinsically linked in some way. Every individual on earth is linked in some way. And we all need each other. And I have believed in the last number of years, we've fragmented ourselves. We've labeled generations. We label everything so we can put people in boxes and we fragmented the fucking shit out of the world. And that's not how humans need to be. We need to be some form together. And, and ironically, the modern world and social media has claimed that it's made us more connected, but I've never seen a more disconnected group in my life. And I, we need to find a way to, to reconnect properly and emotionally, not, not in the kind of vague, vacuous shit that we've been peddling on, online for the last 10 years there's something in that um there's something in fiona's book which i'll, I'll mention in the intro just to give people the details because i know you wrote the foreword to it and uh she she puts it and, and i and it, i suppose it's something i thought about before but like it's a calendar for life so she's she she she, she basically writes out you know your calendar for life as chosen probably by somebody else your parents your teachers your 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 local clergyman whatever you know you, you you do well in school you get into university you do well in university you get the job you get a good job you get a better job you get married you have two kids maybe you have more you get a better mm. job then you get a better job then you put your kids through university then you help raise the grandchildren and then you try and die peacefully in your sleep and that's the map that's the you know every it would i kind of use the example of the reason i went to therapy was because i realized that even though i kind of got to the top of a ladder, I realized it was up against the wrong wall. Um, mm. And what I thought that I needed from life and I wanted from life, and it probably is midlife crisis stuff, but I realized that the stuff I was 
gunning for and the things that I thought were meant success, I was on the wrong path. I was going the wrong way. And I think there's a lot to be said. Like I would say to my daughter and my son, I would say, look, school is great and all that. But, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be tying your success to exams and I wouldn't I'd be thinking a bit more about friends and I think be thinking a bit more about you know your sports and I'd be thinking a bit more about your your interests and your your skateboard or your uh your football or whatever it is you want to do I'd be thinking more holistically you know think think more about people it's more and as you said earlier it's got to be people first but I think that we just have the wrong roadmap um and as you said it's got to be about people it's got to be about we've been teaching uh, for generations we've been teaching I think it's hopefully going to change now but I still see it in school I still see it from other parents I still see it. the teachers are locked into this they've got the blinkers on they're locked into this what success means the points race is is a, a, a prime example of that which is basically an entrance exam to university mm. we, like let the universities decide who fills up their places they've got it I'm sure they're making enough money to do that we don't need the schools to do that the schools have enough to educate and produce well-rounded individuals they've got a big job in their hands they've got enough going on they don't need to be in charge of of the university's job of who fills their places which are growing year on year and it's great that everybody gets to go to third level and it's a great experience but i would be telling my daughter and i've told her before i said which which city do you want to live in for a few years which town do you want to live in for a few years don't like i mean if you if you find a course you like great but go and experience life go to london go to barcelona go don't worry too much about it think about what you want to do and i think that we how do we break that cycle how do we that's this is all stuff that's coming home to roost now for a lot of you and for for our generation it came home to roost and thankfully some of us like yourself and me and i can afford to go to therapy and read books and figure things out you know it's it's a difficult thing to change isn't it well you look at my i always look at my own journey i I went to UCD. I wasn't well through my teenage years. I, I spoke about this when I remember Kirk Cobain died and I was I worshipped him. And I asked my teacher, his Christian brother at the time, what happened? And he smashed his fist off my desk and called him a coward and literally spat on my face with vigor and anger and rage and told me never to mention him again. I was impressed he knew who he was, but it was because he died by suicide. And little did that teacher know at that point in time that I was I was on the verge of of just the darkest horriblest place I ever was because I didn't know what was wrong with me I always thought it was asthma because I couldn't breathe I fought for air every night and I, I just I'll never forget that moment it really impacted me and then I kind of just sidestepped my way through school and I ended up get, do, going to UCD I had a rugby scholarship Sorry, I dropped me my AirPods. I got a um, rugby scholarship to UCD where I went to study economics. And I just laugh at economics now. I can't even spell it. And I went from rugby into playing cover gigs in the local pub when I retired because I was sick, into putting a band together. No, I went into banking for a week. I fired myself. Um, I then went into playing music then went into television, then went into writing, then went into podcasting, and then went back to college and finally studied one thing that resonated with every cell in my body. And it was a joy to be educated and something I loved. Like I couldn't help it. I was, I just drowned myself in information because I was so interested in it. 
And that brings me back to education. If you look in some of the Scandinavian education models, 13, 14 years of age, they say to the person, what do you love? And they educate them in that. And they have all these incredibly successful people, whether they want to be songwriters. I'll never forget one particular teacher in my old school when he told me what I wanted. But I asked, he asked me what I wanted to be. And I said, a musician. And my mom's a musician. I grew up with music. And my, my brother used to be in a band called the Colossomy Bags. And I was, <laughs> used to worship them. They were a punk band. And I said to him, I want to be a musician. And he laughed at me and said, you want to be a waster then? Uh, and... I'll never forget when he said that to me and he, he, he was still in the school a number of years later uh, and I had to go back to do a talk in the school and he said the same thing to another pupil of my school, a guy called Niall Horn. and I remember leaving an, the Irish Times Rich List newspaper on his desk when I went in and it was like Niall Horn was worth whatever, 100 million or something and I just had an awful waster. No teacher, no individual has a right to tell a child or, an ind- or a young person what to dream if they want to be and my main advice to anybody, including out lads like us who are, you know, going through our existential crisis and all that kind of stuff. If I could teach one thing to anybody is number one, find out what the fuck you stand for. What are your values? Find those values and stick to those values and they will allow you make decisions throughout life and let you go wherever you want to go. Put a backbone to what you stand for, a belief structure, work that out. I had to work it out. It took time. Don't go Google it. Ask yourself what really, really matters. And when I did that, number one on my list was family. That was the first thing that came up time and time again. And I realized at that point, everything I was doing in life wasn't honoring that value. I was running off doing Iron Men and going on and spending all my time away from my family. I was missing important things from my family. I was disconnecting from them when I needed to connect with them. And I was silencing myself when I needed to talk to them. And that's when I realized that things started to change. And that is my main advice to anybody is seriously work out those values and use them as your North Star in life. And you'll never go too far wrong because you will get lost. You will get lost. We all do like, but they, they do help bring you back. And right now, a lot of young people have been treated badly. I don't think they were treated intentionally badly. I just think it was badly handled. And unfortunately, the collateral damage was their mental health and their emotional well-being and their parents and the teachers. But one word of advice is next year, if you go to college, maybe you don't want to bother. Maybe you want to do an apprentice. Maybe you want to just go into music, whatever it is. But I wouldn't absolutely melt the shite out of 2022. Have the time of your fucking life because you deserve it. Go out there, go forth and conquer do all the socialization and the interaction and all the shit you missed out with this year, double it up next year. Go and have as much bloody fun. Get it out of your system. Fuck up. Do as, you know, you can't learn unless you fuck up. I've done, you know, if people had receipts on me as a teenager, I wouldn't be here talking to you. I'd be long gone. I'd be canceled. Your job is to mess up and your job is to be vulnerable. Your job is to support your peers. But you've had a tough year and you deserve to go out and just, you know, get that vaccine shove it into your bloody forehead get into you get out and start partying and enjoy your life yeah i mean it's going to be i remember going to fela when i was 16 and uh i stayed awake for three days and it took me a while to recover so i think 2021 is going to be uh something like fela but (laughs) i picked up my family picked my sister ran away julie she could kill me for this she ran away years ago to go to fela i think she was a bit younger than 18 as well and my dad lost the plot and she had to go down and get her and I remember 
like she just puked in the car the whole way home. And she, do you know what? Like you, when you're young and you probably had to put 10 blue wickets and you know what's going on. And it's that blue vomit. <laughs> I just remember going Fela and I go, one day I'll go to Fela. And then it went to one day I'll play Fela. And then it was oxygen. And I remember saying that to my sister, like that was my dream was to play something like that. And I remember the blizzards, we played main stage in oxygen walking out going, this is just the strangest feeling I've ever had. It's just, it, it just feels like life slow, moves in slow motion and stuff like that can happen really fast. You know, and it's, yeah, I just look back at some of that stuff and I just wish I was able to enjoy it more and I was able to have embraced it more. And I, I don't regret that, but I, I really do wish I allowed myself enjoy that. And I dropped the fact that I, like you like you said, and really powerfully said, you know, we keep chasing a life, like a certain thing in life. And when we do that, we just ultimately miss living it. And all the good shit's happening kind of right now in front of us. And I missed a lot of that, thinking that there was something bigger and better, and there isn't. Yeah, because when you get there and like, when you get to that main stage, you can be it can be fleeting enjoyment and it can be a moment of wonder and awe. And but but you don't really enjoy it. You don't you you know <laughs> the, your real dream was to be vomiting blue stuff in in your in your dad's absolutely. Car, who, you know? who doesn't want to do that? But that's the thing. I went back to the Buddhism and one of the like like I'm not a Buddhist. I just believe the psychology of Buddhism is what most psychology theory is based on. If you break it down, and one of the the the, the psychology or the Buddhist psychology is that pleasant feelings and that feeling of happiness, it's fleeting. It, it's, it doesn't last. And then we go seeking it again and seeking it again. And we end up in this treadmill, constantly seeking happiness rather than seeking connection. Cause that's where you get sustainable happiness, the ability to be comfortable in people's company and connect with them. That's where real, not fleeting happiness comes from. That's where that sustainable, I feel part of something more than just me is that is where I have to go. I was so egocentric, Keith. I I really struggled to see the world outside my own point of view. And I made my world really small. And now I've made my world really big and panoramic. And that has changed things. And like, like you said, that did not happen overnight. You know, it really didn't. That took a serious level of work and a lot of shitty work too. I, th- I think I, I still remember the day I still remember a day where I was sitting in my own sitting room, a house that we've lived in w- with my wife and my son and my, my daughter. And I, and I was I, for the first time I just sat in, on the sofa and I was like, like I, I've been, I don't know how long we've been living here, 15 years or something. And I was like, wow, this is nice. You know, it was the first time I felt comfortable where I was in my own skin, sitting in my own house just content you know and I was like this is the fucking dream like I was just I'm just sitting in a semi-d in Newbridge on the sofa but I'm like I'm buzzing I'm like I mean it took it took me so I I didn't want to go anywhere I wasn't antsy I didn't need to get up I didn't want to go to the pub I didn't want to go fucking to the gym I didn't want to run I didn't I just wanted to sit here and I was like it was lovely and it's exactly what you said because you know happiness is the wrong word it's contentment and connection I think uh, and it took me, it took, like I was in, in. I remember you, Key. I remember, honestly, and I'm not saying you'll probably get embarrassed when I say this. Like you were the, you know, the point of the, from a broadcasting point of view, the kind of golden chalice of everybody was trying to, you know, get you and, and get you the headlock. And I knew, like, I, I, went, I remember going in and doing interviews with you. And I was like, these guys are another level. Like they're, you know, they're really, you know, 
not just witty and funny and I'm not, not blowing smoke up your hole like but you know the reality is so much in what we do in entertainment in TV and radio and broadcasting whatever it is there's so much out of our control and it it really it's really difficult and I I remember like when you when you started speaking about just finding that kind of space and peace in your life I was so I was just delighted because I was like this guy is it was never talent you know what I mean and same with me like I didn't get where I wanted to go on music like we we tried and we had our heart broken on many occasions we were dropped we were almost there on certain occasions and and it broke my heart but then I was I have no fucking control over this stuff and it's killing me and I can't let it, like and really when it came down to it I was thinking that was, was where I was going to seek my happiness and and my glory and all that shit and it wasn't it was fooling me every single time and like even last month I went through a bit of a wobble just a normal wobble of this madness and I immediately so lovely magnetized to my family that's where I found solace not in in the past I, I have to go out and do something or achieve something or I have to go out and swim across Loch Ennell I found it there and I found it in my partner and I found it and, and that's that's a lot for me to say because I always believed my shoulders were strong enough to carry everything but they're not and people need to stop holding to me to that standard I don't have that standard and you know I'm, I'm a human being and sometimes things weigh me down and get heavy and I can't carry them and I'm very privileged and humble and I'm sure you are to be able to talk to people about their what they go through and what they're carrying and do my best to figure out how I can shed, shed a bit of light for them but that's all I can do I can't do any more than that and it's it's creating those boundaries is really important too you have to create these boundaries and you know, we've created this almost toxic positivity thing in society that, you know, people are thinking that you can accurately describe the nuance of the human condition with a fucking inspirational meme. You can't. And life, you can't sidestep this shit. You can't. You got to go through it. And an awful lot of our pain, our suffering, our overwhelm comes from the fact that we feel we need to constantly run from this stuff rather than stand tall and deal with it. And as tough as that is, once back to the Buddhist psychologies, they say most of our suffering comes from trying to detach from normal things like grief, like stress, like financial issues, like these are normal and they hurt and we should be allowed to deal with them without being stigmatized. And that to me is not, we're not there yet, but we're well on our way. Thank fuck. Yeah, because there's no, no one's saying life isn't a struggle and it's just that if you if you can use the tools of mindfulness and meditation and whatever the whatever you can find they're they're the tools that will help you enjoy the struggle that's all it's just that's exactly you change your relationship with the struggle and the first i keep going back to buddhism and people are going to think i'm some cult member here or whatever he, but he's, first he's, noble he's, he, he's completely dressed in an orange in an orange <laughs> yes. dress he's got his head yes. shaved and he's got some he's got some color down the, in between his eyes on his forehead. Like <laughs> and there's about a thousand people in the room next door waiting for me to go in and um, and, blessed. and they're not even so they don't even believe COVID exists but the first noble truth of Buddhism is so funny I was working with like elite, elite athletes I do a lot of work with athletes because obviously my own background and I was talking about Buddhism I said listen I can talk to you about mindfulness but it's really good to know where, where this came from and I said the first noble truth of Buddhism is suffering is an inevitable part of the human condition <laughs> one guy put his hand up and goes Jesus would you not open with something else like 
what a fucking terrible opener. Like Buddhism, I went, that's the first noble truth. Suffering is inevitable. It's like, Jesus Christ, I don't want to be a Buddhist. Even the Catholic fuckers, they had a better starting point. You know, whatever the first commandment was. And I was like, he's dead right. But it is so, and it is, it's true. It's like su- suffering is part of our existence. And so is joy and exhilaration and all that kind of stuff. And this stuff really changes how you look at life. And uh, you talk about mindfulness. And often when I was studying, we often refer to the, the mindfulness that we see now as Mac mindfulness, because it's essentially trying, job number one of any app is to get you to subscribe and to stay on there. So an awful lot of the mindfulness apps are really good, but they ain't going to tell you the heavy stuff. They're not going to get into the stuff that the good, the bad, the ugly, and getting you sitting with difficulty, because that ultimately is what mindfulness does. It gets you to disempower the things that are disempowering you. And that is the root of mindfulness-based stress reduction. And our other forms of mindfulness-based interventions but nobody will tell you that stuff because it's not it's not going to, you know, we just immediately go when we want to do mindfulness. I need to chill out. I'm really overwhelmed. I need to find ways to chill myself out. Five years ago, Keith, the only drink you could buy in the market was energy drinks to give you the pace to keep up with the world. Now people are selling you drinks that cure anxiety. This shit needs to stop. Number one, you don't want to cure an anxiety. It's a crucial part of the human condition and it's, it's important that we have it. And we, we need to stop commodifying this area and commodifying people's peace because it takes serious level of work and it won't be found. It won't be found in just closing your eyes and listening to an app for 10 minutes a day. It might help you relax a little bit. Absolutely will. But there's more depth to this. I'm really passionate about mindfulness because I think this is the most important ally to the modern mind, but I think it's been misrepresented and diluted. And it's not perhaps having its full effect on people. And only when I started doing the, the deeper work with mindfulness did I start seeing its true value. And I'm passionate about teaching that value to others, even though sometimes that is difficult to do. And it's difficult. It's a difficult journey to go on. And you know the journey. Mindfulness is, my meditation is just a part of it. Actually, real mindfulness for me is informal. It's presence communicating being in the room with the person you're in the room with it is all these different things it's being able to see the world outside your point of view it's being able to deal with conflict in a more effective way and i always use this term always not everybody's intention is to hurt you look past your behaviors and their words maybe they were hurt too and that's the type of stuff that changed my life because you know, I, I, I think we're not going in a good direction as humans and we need to stop and we need to address this and create a paradigm shift. And I'm not being overly dramatic or trying to start the cult, but I, I, I know there's a better way. And I'm seeing it now. I'm seeing people waking up and, and connecting again. And I do believe that, you know, personally, in my own point of view, I only wish I learned this when I was in school. I really do. Totally, man. Totally. Um, the, the, the thing that's, that has struck me the most about my own behavior is how direct I've become. And, and in saying that, I realized how passive I was. Um, and somebody actually said to me during the week, I, I, need to, I, need, I wanted to do a few things. 
I used to be very concerned about other people, what they thought, doing the mm. right thing for certain people. And somebody Perception. said, yeah, somebody said you just need to put the blinkers on for a little while now. Uh, and and it, it's a great thing that I just I just keep reminding myself. I'm just I'm just going to I just got the blinkers on at the moment. I'm just I'm just going to be a little bit selfish here for a little while, mm. which is which is kind of important as well. Uh, but but it, but the the thing is, you said like mindfulness is part of it. Medita- mindfulness is the thing. Meditation is part of it. But all these things that come from it, like there's certain people I can't be friends with anymore, and it's mm. not. I don't have a, there's no, we didn't have a falling out. We didn't, there's no, there was no war. There was no, I don't have any, there's no badness towards them. It's just, I just don't, I've realized I just don't need you. It's not helpful and it's not helpful for me. And I just have to, that's a difficult decision to make. But all these things that, that come from it, like 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 to, like to being more direct and being able to say, look, this is just the way I am now. Did you, how difficult did you find that transition from like, I don't know if I'm right, even what I say, but the brezzy that people... No, you are. The brezzy that people expected uh, to who 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 Nile wanted to be. And like, how how did you... Did you have to keep constantly explaining that to people? No, I, I've always been, even in my shitty times, I've always been a pretty direct person. I, I have a really difficult relationship with bullshit just grates me it's like it's it's like scraping ice when people talk bullshit I've, I've issues with agendas when people just want things out of people I've always had that uh, I was raised that way I've I've just just the best parents and family and my parents even though my dad was an army officer he was an immensely liberal open-minded individual uh, my mom absolutely always has been my sister's so the one thing I learned in life is that like being direct isn't being mean. It's actually being, you know, there's, there is ways of being direct with compassion and there's ways of saying things without upsetting people. And if you're consistently like that, then people have far more value in, in what you say because they know you don't talk shit. When I started dealing with my mental health and talking to people about it directly, I almost became too blunt with it because I, I, I actually, it's just going to really sound weird. I resented people a little bit for, in a weird fucked up way. I resented the public or generally the world for making me be so repressed about my own shit. And that wasn't their fault. You know, it was no one's fault. So I, I just, I just went this period where I just randomly just blurted out to a lad in a pub. You know what I mean? And, and, and something I want to point out here, Keith, and I think it's important around mental health is, there's a discussion at the moment around mental health and there's this, there's a different discussion when we talk about almost psychiatric level of disorder and when mental health is an utter disorder. Stress and bad days and anxiety are so normal. It's when they become utterly dysfunctional that they become a huge problem. And that is what was wrong with me. It was utterly dysfunctional. It was madness. It was an inability to function as a human being. It was so physical to me. My, like my hair used to fall out. I used to get boils all over my skin. It, it just was so physical and it was so difficult to disguise it, yet I had to. And I had to turn up to rugby training with Leinster every single day and make an, an excuse for why I couldn't play. And I resented having to do that all my life. So when the time came, I just couldn't stop saying it. And 
I just kept talking and talking and talking and, and being straight about it. And then another thing that happens when you start dealing with your own self-awareness and you go through years of therapy is you start to recognize in other people when they're being, they're not being truthful or they're not being sincere or authentic. It just jumps out at you because people like to think that they're really subtle and when they're being passive aggressive, they're kind of fooling everybody. I'm like, no, I, the one thing you do learn in therapy is it's very hard to fool you. And, you know, when somebody be passive aggressive with you and you, you call them out and that they go, oh, well, you're just being sensitive. And when and now you're fucking gaslighting, you know, and they don't know what to do with being called out. And I don't think humans are as complex as we think they are. You know, I really don't. And I think that's what's happened to me when I started talk, talking publicly and opening up. I think my emotional intelligence improved dramatically. And when that happens, you start to read people much better. And that's when I realized that people that were doing things to me that weren't nice, I don't think they were doing it because they didn't like me. I think they had problems and other issues that they might be just passing on. Uh, I remember in school, our school was an immensely abusive school. Uh, some of our teachers are, are now in jail from, from some of it. I mean, it was very dark stuff. And I look at all my mates and I'm like, of course we're all emotionally stunted and a little bit fucking weird and not able to talk to people and look me in the eye. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's honesty. Well, once again, I'm back to it. That's my second value is honesty and real honesty, even if it hurts like a motherfucker. And I remember for my birthday, my 40th birthday, uh, loads of people did a video for me and one person did a video and it was like, Oh, happy birthday, Betty. And, and said, by the way, thanks for getting back to me. You know, you never get, I, you never get back to me. And I actually went, first of all, I got upset. And then I went, no, he is right. And I'm going to own that. And I'm going to take personal responsibility for that. And I rang him the next day and I went, that is not good enough. It's not good enough as a friend. I wouldn't expect it from you. And I don't expect it from me. Apologies, no buts, no kind of but. I was going through a tough time. No buts. I'll do better, dude. And he just went, there's no reply to that. Thank you. And I went, that's it. Conversation over. No gains, nothing. And Jesus Christ, that's liberating. Mm. How much time do you save just doing that and taking responsibility when you're being a nurse? And that's really important. And that's one thing I've learned most over the last few years. I fuck up like everybody and I think the most important part to fucking up in the modern world is to own it with no buts if you've made a mistake I think most people won't crucify you for it if you own it and uh, you know don't put a but to it I do think we've hit a point where people are so lost in their own confirmation biases that they refuse you know even when you own it they'll still keep calling you out on it uh, there has to be accountability but I, I do feel in certain regards in this world, we're getting a bit hazy when it comes to call out culture and uh, cancel culture. I think it is important. I think righteous anger is a gift. I think it's so crucial. That's how we change society. But I think we have to find and understand that everybody learns at their own pace. And we need to create space for that. Not, as I said, once again, not everybody's intention is to offend you. You know, give them space to grow. We all learn at our own pace, even if that frustrates you. And these are things I start to learn. And I think 
I don't believe in this woke culture. I don't believe in labeling things just because it's easy to do it. I think we're progressing society. We're pushing for equality. Do I believe we're doing it in the right way? Sometimes, you know, I, I, I had a debate with somebody recently about the word psychopath and how it was used within modern culture and popular culture. And his argument, we went on and on and on. And my final question was to him, what's the clinical definition of a psychopath? And he didn't know. And I said, well, it's very hard for you to debate something when you don't actually know what you're debating. And he went, fair point. And this is the difference. Like, I didn't hate him. I didn't think he was a really bad person. I think some of his views were. And when we finished the debate, he acknowledged that he didn't know enough about it and he was going to go and read more. And that's how you change society, is recognizing the people who might be potential people who you can change their views through good dialogue, debate and narrative and people who are just spouting hate because they're hateful. If you can find that line, the people who you change their opinion of will become the most important ally to your movement because not only did they do they believe in your movement, you have convinced them that the way they used to be was wrong and they're a powerful ally. And I think that is, that's the dichotomy we have to, we have to find here. Where do we find that space in modern culture that we can create platforms where people can progress society rather than suffocate it? I presume you would have uh, <laughs> you would have been for Mr. Potato Head dropping the Mr. and just becoming Potato Head, which happened today. Um, I only I, I literally <laughs> saw Donny saying something like it's very triggering for an Irishman or something, and I didn't know what it was. What is actually the context of it? Well, apparently it could have been misinformation. You know the way things turn up on Twitter, but apparently Hasbro, the, the toy makers, had decided Mr. Potato Head was no more. It was just going to be Potato Head for, from now on. Uh, a few hours later, they came back and said, no, 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 Mr. Potato Head's cool. And there's also a Mrs. Potato Head and everything's grand. But it just, it's it was sort of, uh, it was just, it, it was that moment where, you just we've so we've gone too far. It's okay, Mr. we're okay with Mr. Potato Head. But that's, but that's the thing when the, when 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 you get so left wing that you become worse than well, the Nazis. Psycholo you know? Psychologists call it overcorrection. Mm. You know, overcorrection is it is a thing. Uh, you know, and psychologists, there's a lot of social psychologists that have have researched this area. Uh, I can understand it at one point. You know, and it's very easy for me, for a straight white man, to to make some statement here. But like, I don't know what it feels like to feel. You know, I am privileged and that's the reality. White privilege is a very, you know, this, for example, when the Black Lives Matter movement happened, I remember at that point, Kira, producer of the Where's My Mind podcast, he goes, she goes, now's the time to listen. Listen to the voices that you, you know, not that you wouldn't have listened to, but are now speaking and it's time to listen and to really, really understand as best you can from a position of being, you know, a guy from Mullingar in the middle of Ireland as best you can under, try to relate uh, to understand this because you can't relate to it. Is it like, it's just reality. You can't. And I did, and I did a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of listening and reading and listen to a lot of incredible podcasts. And, and I really, I learned much more than I would have if I just kept talking about it. And another thing that happened, I remember when, and I'm just talking about social movements and they are really important because we do have a deeply unequal, unequal society. And it's our biases are so intrinsically bet into us that some, some of us don't even know this. And I remember when the Me Too movements uh, erupted in the Harvey Weinstein case, 
And I, I thought it was the most powerful thing I'd seen in so long is when Uma Thurman, who obviously would have worked with Harvey Weinstein for years and years and years and years. And God knows we didn't know at any point in time any of the history between maybe between her and Harvey Weinstein. And she was asked in the red carpet about what had happened. And you could see she was deeply emotional. And she took a breath as this TMZ interview had the mic up to her and she goes, I have learned, she said, that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm big, I'm a big girl. She goes, I have learned when I'm this angry, I've learned that I need to step back. And she goes, when I'm ready, when I am ready, I will give you, I'm sorry, I can't give you a, a, a tidy soundbite here. You can see she was shaking, but when I am ready and on my terms, I will make my statement. And it was really powerful because she was saying, no one has a right to make people speak until they're ready to. And that's what she was doing. And it was just so, you could see in her, she was, it, was, it had broken her. And we don't know what happened. We didn't have full context of what happened with it. And I just realized with all these different movements that I just didn't know enough. And, I, 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 and how could I? Because I come from a space where these are prejudices that maybe I never experienced or truly understood. And I think that's the biggest thing I'm learning from, from the movements that we're seeing and these important movements is to listen more and, and literally sit back and consume this and, and listen to as many voices as you can. And, and it gets you outside that egocentric view that you might have of the world. And I think that's what I've done on some of these movements and they've educated me incredibly. And, and not that I know everything on it, but I know a lot more now than I would have if I just kept talking. Um, how do you, where, when do you uh, relax? You seem very busy. Are you very busy? Are you too busy? No, no, I'm, I hate being, I hate that wanker who says, I love what I do, but I do. I love what I do because I love reading. It's the, it's, the, it's the happiest I am is when I read and I read a lot. And most of what I read, I put into the podcasts, either the Wake Up Wind Downs, which is twice daily, that's that's obviously ironically quite stressful, but um, I do love reading, and I've consumed myself in information. I love listening to people. The one thing that has saved me, without a doubt, is nature. I adore it. My mum used to say I used to sit in the back garden, covered in shite, eating worms, you know, eating nettles. You know those those kids who just didn't have. And no wonder my immune system's so strong. I, like I used to literally, I also had stones for a period of time, which was hilarious. And I just love nature. And I live in Mullingar and I live four kilometers from two lakes with the most beautiful surroundings, the most beautiful, beautiful place, most peaceful place. I, you know, somewhere that holds a lot of solace for me. I get into it every now and again, I walk it or whatever. And I just realized that that's the shit that, that really calms me down. And I also... I'm good at boundaries. What happens is you get these waves where one week, even when we were meant to chat last week, and it just came because we're launching this Marathon Mind project. And what you might do is miss, maybe miss how potential you go, oh, this, can't, might, this won't be too hard. We'll do this and this and be grand. You kind of forget that there's always going to be shit thrown into it that is a bit, a bit more overwhelming. A Marathon Mind certainly was because we had 800 applicants to do that marathon. And we had to pick four and go through the stories. And we need to hold them with care 
uh, we're bringing them through a nine-month therapeutic process. So you've pre-assessment, you've all the, the aspects of making sure people are safe. So it was all that other stuff, all that more emotional stuff that I wasn't ready for with this. And this week was just too intense, but it will calm down next week and I'll be fine. And uh, as I said, I, I do really love what I do. And do you get to play the guitar every day? I do. Like, I, like music is definitely a huge, a huge um, relieving point for me. It's and like the thing, it's also important. It's like some, when I used to play music, I always believed that every time I sat beside my guitar, I had to write music. And that's kind of stressful sometimes because like it's fairly hard, but like what I do find is actually just sitting and playing it. It's just enough for me sometimes, you know, and I don't know. I, I have found a lot of peace and simple shit and a lot. I'm doing a lot of running and I'm not a good runner, Keith. I'm a terrible, I know you're a good runner, but I'm a terrible runner and I'm too big. I'm too heavy, too many injuries. And I remember, I just don't care how shit I am. Like, there's lads, there's, like, little kids in, in like, three-wheeler things passing me. I don't care. And it's not about being good at it. It's about loving being outside. Um, I just love being outside. I love jogging. I'm slow. I said I look like a gazelle who's been shot in the arse with a sedative dart when I run. I'm a terrible running style. I just don't care. And that's the, they're the three things that have helped me. Uh, I'm a very slow runner, by the way, as well. <laughs> I doubt you are. I, 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 you know, you're. I don't know. You've you've the right build for running as well. I can sprint. If 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 some of my training, if there's sprints involved in my training, I'm good at that. But I, if it's a long run, I like to just settle in. And, I'm a uh, sprinter as well. I've always been, like I was a sprinter in school, and like, even though I was huge, but like I had big gazelle legs that just took off. But yeah, and in the middle of marathon training now at the moment, and. It's lovely to be able to do it without worrying about times or it's yeah. lovely to be able to go, I'm not, I'm not arsed to go out today, you know, it's raining. But I like the idea of having some form of structure. I think structure does help me a lot. And, you know, the one thing that is, sorry, I forgot to say, and I really advise this to all your listeners, go back and read the classics, the books, the, 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 the Alice in Wonderlands, the Gulliver Travels. I saw you go saying read them. Actually, yeah. Oh, my God. They're just transports you to another world and you miss so much as a kid reading them trust me the nuance in those books i don't know what mushrooms the the author of um alice in wonderland was on but jesus the world that that they create and it's just it's just it's just so relaxing to read that stuff and you know it's not the news it's none of that crap and it's, it's easy to read you don't need a feckin dictionary beside you when you're reading it and it just transports you to another world. And sometimes we need that. We need that escapism. Funny, actually, you mentioned mushrooms because I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to keep you much longer. But I, I had intended asking you about the psychedelic chat you had, but um, we, we maybe we'll have to do another one, a part two. I'll get to you in a few months. No, um, I mean the psychedelic side of it is is, and I did like I'm not like it's the science now. The science is telling us this. The FDA have called psilocybin a breakthrough therapy. And to watch therapy over the last, you know, to watch the fact that there hasn't been breakthrough therapy in mental health for so many years, especially at the psychiatric level for severe depression and treatment resistant depression. And now we're starting to see things like MDMA and ketamine and psilocybin being used at that level. We need to listen to the science. You don't need to listen to me or listen to some. I had the, the top researcher in the world, Rick Doblin from MAPS who, who talked about the research and we're in phase two in psilocybin 
that'll be phase three. That'll be legalized within two years in America. Uh, MDMA will be legalized by next year as a treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. So what we need now is people in Ireland start looking at the research levels of that and see what we can do. And, and when I say this, I say this with true responsibility. These drugs are dangerous drugs. These are done wisely in clinical settings with top professionals. And if you want proper context to this conversation, go listen to the podcast, uh, A Psychedelic Renaissance, because I'm personally excited by it. I've never done drugs in my life. I'm not a, uh, I'm well aware of the danger of them, but I, I am a big fan of science and science is the new rock and roll. And the science is telling us that this is a breakthrough therapy and I'm going to bloody listen. Uh, one more thing. How can f- people follow the, the four people you've selected to do the marathon mind? Is that something that, that you will be allowing yeah, if, people if, to follow? Not only follow, we're going to train whoever wants to do one as well. So if you want to come on the journey, we're putting up the psychology programs, the mindfulness programs, the strength and conditioning programs, wow. the nutrition programs. It's all free. It's for anybody who wants to do it. You can walk this bloody marathon. You don't have to run it. It's on your terms. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put details of the actual marathon and when it's going to be and where it's going to be. But it, it isn't going to be one where you there's a time limit. So whatever way you want to do it, on your terms, it is completely up to you. I feel it might be a good thing to get you through the next few months to have a focus. So if you want to follow this program, you need to go on Facebook or Instagram and it's Marathon Mind Official. And all the details and all the programs every month will go up there. Uh, you can come and join us on this, no matter where you are in the world. If you're over in bloody Kansas, you can set up two bollards on the day and do the marathon. And it really isn't about the race. I want to make that clear. It's about the journey and it's about training the mind to make the body strong, not the other way around. So where can people follow that then? Uh, Marathon Mind Official. Marathon Mind Official. Yeah, on Instagram and Facebook. Um, And... That's brilliant. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's the best thing you can do for the next few months. I'm going to become one of your cheerleaders and tell people about it. Uh, best best marathon I ever did. I was injured. I probably shouldn't. Have, I can't believe I got to the start line. Never mind the finish line. It took me five hours to run it. It was in Los Angeles and it was the best five hours of my life. I just I met so many people because I wasn't running for a time. We were just kind of I met people. We had chats. I, you know, I, I ran past places that famous people, you know, Hollywood Boulevard and, you know, uh, famous dives on uh, Sunset Strip. And, you know, I was just like, I'm like, this is amazing. You know, it was the best, like slow marathons. Oh, it's, it's, I'm all I, I, I dislocated both my ankles jumping into shallow water 10 weeks before my first marathon. And I couldn't run for 10 weeks. And I remember, you know, my mate just saying to me, the one thing you have is an absolute dog. You have a fight in you like nothing else. And I was like, feck it, I'll do it. I'll just walk it, like whatever. I'll just walk it as fast as I got onto the finish line. Did I'll start line. I mean, it was it was just a son. Like I, I jogged a little bit. I I think I ate, you know, the way they give you little nutrition stands. I think I actually ate their profits there. I just started walking through eating fruit pastilles and having chats. I still did it. And at the end of the day, I had a marathon medal around my neck. This isn't about ego. This isn't about being obsessed with, like the one thing I do not want here is people getting obsessed with this and times. If you've done 10 marathons before, this is probably not the one for you. If you're you're looking for a sub three hour, this is definitely not the one for you. This is inclusive. This is for people in any way they want to do it. If you want to bring your kids and their bloody bikes to support you, you can bring them on the bikes. 
you know, and that's the kind of mentality I want to create here. It's really just to keep people focused and to help them bring things like psychology and mindfulness in an accessible way where you can apply them to some of your training or whatever it is you're doing. And that is ultimately all it is. And we have an incredible team. We have Olympians and world champions helping us do this. And it's all voluntary. You know, no one's being paid for this. So it just shows you the heart that people have. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, like to get that kind of like psychology behind it, the, the physical training, the mental training, everything absolutely brilliant. Sign up, do it. I, I couldn't, I, I, you know, brilliant. Uh, I'm lost for words. Listen, man, I, I've there's so many things I'd written down that I want to talk to you about. So maybe, love maybe we'll, to come on again, man, anytime. Maybe we'll do it again another time. I really appreciate you giving me your time. And uh, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. Really nice to chat to you again. It's a good, great to see you, dude. I'm delighted things are going well. You look well. And give my best to your kids. And tell them not to get too too submerged in this and work out their values and their leaving certainly grand. Totally, man. Mind yourself. Nice one, dude. Take care. Cheers. Well, there you go. That's uh, the the one and only Brezzy, Niall Breslin, chatting to me. Uh, we talked actually at the weekend, and uh, it was, um, when was it? Friday. Friday, just gone. So, uh, yeah, really enjoyed chatting to him. I think it's great that we have people like that in in the public eye speaking so openly about thoughts, fears, vulnerabilities and trying to help as well um, like I kind of remember back in the days there used to there used to be things like like bands or DJs that do something like you know they'd make up a rap about your mental health or you know saying no to drugs or whatever but it's different to talk about your own personal experience and use your own thoughts and feelings and vulnerabilities you know too and I think that really just it really helps you know really helps and to use your platform like that is it's admirable you know it's difficult it's difficult because first of all it's difficult to share um, you know intimate details about yourself and be so honest and and also because there's a tendency for people, I'm going to say in Ireland, but it's, I'm sure it's the world over, to just be a little bit like, who the fuck does your man think he is talking about mental health? You know, there is that, which is fine. But I'm just saying it just makes it a bit more difficult because you're kind of aware of that as well. He's a good man. He's a good lad. Um, uh, and uh, what, is, what was it? Kevin McGahern said... He's too good looking. He's on the podcast. He said, Brad, he's too good looking to be depressed. Of course, he was joking. He's a comedian. It's a joke. It's a funny joke, though. Um, so that's it. Yeah, thank you very much to Niall uh, for coming on. Thanks for having the chats. And uh, I really, really hope that, uh, you know, the government can do the right thing. Some of the right things, at least. You can't do everything right all of the time, but some of the right things would be great. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, that's it for me. Got to go. Uh, I've got to edit the other podcast and put that up. Actually, I, I was look. I, I looked it up online. I googled. I, I googled. I looked it up online. I googled Irish artists 
Radio One, BBC Radio One playlist just to see which Irish artist, Irish, I can't even, I don't know what's wrong with my speech tonight, <laughs> which Irish artists had been playlisted by the BBC Radio One in the past. And there's no definitive list, so it might be something I have to put together myself. I, I certainly couldn't find it, but if anybody, if you're listening to this and you find a list and you can send it in to me, um, the email to for the podcast is keithwalshpod at gmail.com. Uh, if it's your first time listening, you're very welcome. If you're a long-time listener, you're also very welcome. Thank you very much for listening, as always. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends, recommend it, uh, give us a five-star rating, give us a written review. Do subscribe, because then the podcast will drop into your podcast box. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> don't know what that noise was. Uh, automatically, and then you don't have to go looking for it. And uh, I think that's everything I need to say. I always forget to say thanks to Acast, but this is part of the Acast network. Uh, and I'm very grateful for their support as always because they've helped. They have helped. We've been doing doing good numbers. So thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll keep going. I can't believe we're at episode seventy three, and I'm just about to put episode seventy four up. So make sure you listen to that one. It's a good one with Mike, Mike, who I chat to every weekend and put up on Monday. It's especially good, groovy, loose, mad chat, but good, but funny. Uh, so have a listen to that if you. Just double up, you know, double down, go for the go for the twosie, two podcasts and a rosies. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Right, I got to go. Uh, see you. See you when I get me any glasses. See you around the corner. See you around the bend. See you, uh, see you next Wednesday. Good luck. Bye, bye, bye. Do you like good podcasts? Yeah, yeah. Sweet so podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Who says a podcast? Yeah, yeah. Who be the podcast? Yeah, yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.